are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. While the kids are making their way to their uh, children's service, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of James. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. James chapter 4, we're looking at verse 13 through 17 today. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Now the book is written by, well, ultimately by God through the power of His Holy Spirit and in the life of a man by the name of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. He is the oldest sibling under Jesus. So he is the uh, uh, Joseph and Mary's son, James, who is the half-brother because Jesus is the Son of God. Now, uh, James is writing here. In James chapter 4, we've been going through the book. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. I want you to, he says, now listen. I want you to listen real closely. He said, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow... We will go to this or that city. We'll spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why do you not even know why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, what? Sins. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all your blessings. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I titled this sermon, The Most Dangerous Sin of a Christian. The Most Dangerous Sin of a Christian. I want to read something that Warren Wiersbe wrote about this passage. He said, Too many Christians look upon the will of God as bitter medicine they must take, instead of seeing it as the gracious evidence of the love of God. In other words, what Warren Wiersbe says is that a lot of us fear God and we fear the will of God for our life. Now listen to what he went on to say. He told this story. He said, a perplexed teenager told me at a church youth conference, I would give my life to the Lord, but I'm afraid. Warren Wiersbe asked the young man, what are you afraid of? He said, I'm afraid God will ask me to do something dangerous. Wiersbe answered, The dangerous life is not in the will of God, but out of the will of God. Isn't that good? Now listen to what Wiersbe said. He said, the safest place in the world for you and I is where God's will is for our life. Now let me read it again. Listen, he said that the dangerous life is not in the will of God, The dangerous life is when you and I are outside God's will for our life. And I remember Adrian Rogers told me this on an airplane. He said, Jeff, the safest place for you to be 
is in God's will. Now I want you to turn to your neighbor and say that. The safest place to be is in the will of God. Now that's true, isn't it? And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now let me, give you, let me give you some dangers that you and I have to be careful of, and I believe this is what James was saying. Now we're going to look at verse 14, then we're going to go back to verse 13. Now the first danger is the danger of failing to recognize the brevity of your life. Okay, I want you to think about that for a moment. The first danger you and I make is that we fail to recognize the brevity, the shortness of our life. In other words, there's no guarantees. You know, life is short. You know, the Bible says redeem the time, which means the idea of stewardship, but life is short. Look at verse 14, James chapter 4, verse 14. Watch what he says. He says, why? He says, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Does anybody know what will happen tomorrow? Now, you know what you think will happen tomorrow, but you don't know. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? That's a good question, isn't it? You are a mist that appears for a short while, and then what? It vanishes. It's like a cold day when, you're, when you breathe, and you breathe out that smoky mist, and then in a matter of a second, it's gone. James says, that's your life. That's my life. Life is brief. You know, I thought about it. My 50th class reunion is this coming year. 50 years. I thought, wow, that flew by. I mean, it went so quickly, I can't even tell you how quickly. It seems like yesterday I was sitting in my baby blue 1967 Ford Mustang. Black leather interior. You can see me just kind of reminiscing just that moment. Ethan, I wish I still had that car. 1967 Ford Mustang, black leather interior, and man, I love that car. It seems like yesterday I was sitting there in front of the high school with a thick head of hair waiting for the, for the bell to ring and for me to get out of my car and go in. Now my thick head of hair is coming out of my nose and my ears. You know, 50 years, just like that, it went so quickly. You know, a lot of people, uh, they, they've been showing this on Facebook, social media, Dolly Parton in a, in a Dallas Cowboy cheerleading outfit. You seen that? Said conservatives are really upset about that. Well, let me tell you, first of all, I thought to myself, it, it don't really look that good. If I could say anything to Dolly, Dolly, you, need to, you probably need to change your wardrobe a little bit. In fact, I wrote this down. <clears throat> I said, isn't it interesting that those who seek to reject or to fight aging, and listen, let me say, there's nothing wrong with exercise, nothing wrong with a little makeup, nothing wrong with looking your best, but there is a beauty in a man or woman of God who ages with grace and dignity. Just something about it. Well, James says life is short. In fact, he says, you and I never know when the day's going to come. We don't know when we're going to die. You know that? I, we, Sheila and I were sitting at uh, Brian and Courtney's when, uh, before they moved. They were over in Madison, in Madison County, uh, uh, our, the Fioretti's. And we were sitting there eating supper one night when Sheila got a call on her phone. And I could tell in a minute, the moment she answered that phone, something was bad wrong. 
The first thing your thought is, is the kid's all right. And then she looked and said, my brother-in-law's had a massive heart attack on a treadmill while on a business trip in Dallas, Texas, and he died. I mean, you know, life is short. James Dobson was playing with, uh, he was playing basketball. Pistol Pete, one of the great legends of basketball, had come to his home or had come to his ministry and was going to do an interview. They were shooting basketball when Pistol Pete had a massive heart attack in his late 30s. I think he was late 30s, around 40. He dropped and he died in James Dobson's arms. You know, life is short. That's what the writer's saying here. And it's not always help. You know, basketball legend Kobe Bryant was on a trip in a helicopter, a routine trip to go watch his daughter play basketball, and that helicopter crashed, and one of the great legends of the NBA was gone. Dale Earnhardt bumped a, uh, bumped a fellow racer, flipped him off out of, as he rode by the racer, went into the curb, and went into eternity. Broke his neck like that. Was watching a documentary on Barry Sanders, was telling our men, when Barry Sanders said that one of his close friends, one of the linemen, made a routine block or did something, and all of a sudden he was hitting his chest, and he said, I can't feel my body. Paralyzed. You know, we never know about life, do we? When I was an EMT working in ambulance, went to a home, you've heard me tell this, friend of mine, High school girl came to the door screaming, my dad shot himself, we need you to help. And he, had, he was putting a gun up on a rack. The gun fell, shot him point blank right here, blew his spleen away, half his spleen away. He was dying. In the ambulance, he was telling me he knew he would not make it. And he said, I want you to tell my son that I love him. I've never told him that before. And then he was gone. We were doing CPR on him. I did CPR for an hour and 45 minutes on that man. You know, life is short. That's what he's saying. You know what the danger, you know what the first danger in a room like this is? Is that we all forget how short and brief our life is. How quickly it passes. So number two, verse 13, is the danger of planning your life without God. You see, if life is brief and life is short and I want to maximize my life, then what I want to do is I want to weigh my life against eternity. Everybody look this way. When you became a Christian, you may say, well, when I die, I'm going to have eternal life. That's not true. Everybody listen. If you're a Christian, you've got eternal life right now. Did you know that? Did you know that your life right now, because of the Holy Spirit living in you, because you repented of your sin, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, do you realize that you'll have life, you'll have it more abundantly? Do you have eternal life right now? You say, well, I don't understand that. I don't either, but absent from the body is present with the Lord, right? I'm just, hey, listen, I'm eternally alive now. Satan can't kill me. If he could, he would. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But he can't kill, steal, and destroy me because, listen, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I'm in the hand of God. I've got eternal life. 
But let me tell you, secondly, the danger is you and I plan this brief life of ours without God. This is for the person who plans. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with plans. There's nothing wrong with making money, with having goals, with having a career. But as Zig Ziglar said, he said, if you don't have a target, you'll hit it every time. Did you hear that? If you don't have a target, you'll hit it every time. There's nothing wrong with having plans and having some kind of agenda and having a future and thinking about who you're going to marry and the career you're going to have and the education and all of that and saving and putting away. All of that's important. Retirement's important. But let me tell you, the problem is, is when you and I are planning without God ever in the equation. One writer said this, Chuck Swindoll said this. He said, James is not criticizing planning or advocating haphazard organization but our plans are always to be made listen according to God's will acknowledging the sovereignty of God over my life everything I do everything that I do in my life God is this what you want is this your will for my life if I'm a Christian, I wrote this down. If this is a principle. If I'm a Christian, I'm required to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, which means this. Every decision is this. Listen to this. George Mueller wrote a book on the autobiography of George Mueller in that he has the most extensive documented prayer life of any human being that's ever written. 30,000 plus documented answers to his prayer. He prayed all the time. They asked him, said, uh, said, Mr. Mueller, how are you able to do that? Most people, most of us, we fall asleep, we get distracted, there's a bird flying around the window, next thing we forgot what we're even praying about. Or we do this, we go to sleep while we're praying. You ever do that? You're praying, you go to sleep. I always said that's a good way to go to sleep, right? But anyway, the reality is, is that you and I can live our life oblivious to God. And the danger is, is that we forget this. George Mueller said this when asked about his prayer life. He said, pray the, pray the scripture. He said, that's what I do. Let me give you an example. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Do you hear that? That's a prayer. In other words, if you're praying for your children, if I were praying for Ethan right now, I'd say, Lord, I just pray right now that Ethan will trust you with all of his heart, that he won't lean to his own understanding, but in all his ways, every decision, every crossroad, every decision that he's going to make in life, that he will always acknowledge you and God, you're going to direct his path. You hear that? You see, that's what the child of God does. Every decision that we make, who we, who we date, who we marry, how many children, where we go to school, education, academics, job, everything is, pre, is prefaced with God. Is this your will for my life? What is wrong, and I wrote this down, what is wrong is that so often we claim to be a Christian and yet we plan our life without God. Again, there's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. But if the stuff has you, if it has you, it's a sin. Nothing wrong with you having stuff. But when stuff has you, that's a real problem. Yesterday, I 
I walked up and a woman who had come to volunteer, uh, a mother of a, of a woman who was kind of leading our event yesterday, she was standing at the door weeping and crying, just crying. And I looked at her, her name's Sheila. In fact, she spells her name exactly the way Sheila spells her name, which is the first time we've ever seen that, S-H-I-E-L-A. But she's crying. I looked at her and I said, Sheila, are you all right? And she was, she was so moved by one of the young men in this church that had taken his money and was buying up the bikes, buying up stuff, turning around and giving it to some of the children who came into that building. Some of those families were hurting. Some of those families were broken. Some of them had lost it. There was a grandmother there who had, 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 had all of her children now, her responsibility. And she said, I just couldn't believe this young man as he willingly gave a, and began to buy up and to give to others. You know, uh, that's when stuff doesn't have you. Swindoll went on to make this statement. He said, perhaps the most deluging, deluging of all games is that version of playing God that we play out in our lives. He broke this passage down where this person says, now listen, today or tomorrow we'll go to this city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business and we'll make money. He said there was five dangers here. Rule number one, this person in that verse selfishly chooses their own time and their own schedule. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do today. And this is planning out my day. That's rule number, uh, number one. Number two, they select the location that pleases them. We will go to this or that city. Number three, they limit their stay to please themselves. We'll spend a year there. Number four, they arrange their activities so that they work primarily for their own benefit and their own pleasure will carry on business. Rule number five, they predict their profit and they boast about it and God has nothing to do with it. He went on to say they're boasting, presumptuous, they're prideful, they're planning as if they will live forever, ever, as if tomorrow is a certainty and it is not. God is ignored, overlooked, marginalized, forgotten in the details. In other words, God has nothing to do with it at all. Do you do that? Let me ask you this question, you're a parent. Are you praying your will or God's will for the life of your child? You know, I love that scene out of Alex Haley's book, uh, Roots. You remember Kunta Kante? When he holds up that little newborn African daughter and he holds her up toward the heavens and he commits her to what he understands the creator to be. You ever done that with your children? You ever done that with your marriage? You ever done that with a friendship? You ever done that with your career, your education? Have you ever just looked up toward God and said, God, I'm coming to a great decision in my life. I don't know where to go to college. I don't know where to go in my career. God, I need to know what you want me to do within the kingdom of God. And I can tell you, I can tell you some, some problems in this room and people who are listening, You've got a career, and you've got a great career, but God doesn't have nothing to do with your career. 
You know, Adrian Rogers said it one time. He said to a lot of parents, they tell their kids, listen, get a good education, make as much money as you can, and then sit on the can. Your career, your education, everything about you is for one reason. It is to further the kingdom of God. Do you understand that? It's to further God's kingdom. That's what God wants to do. Well, number three, the third danger. It's the danger of living life without eternity in the equation. Now look at verse 15 here. He said, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now remember verse, remember verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business, we'll make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, look at it, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, I ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will do this or that. God, if it's your will. In other words, we're taking God's counsel into every decision that we make in life. We plan so often. Let me tell you what we do. We make our plans and then we ask God to give a stamp of approval. That's right. This is what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to start this business. I'm going to marry. I'm going to date this person. We're going to get married in a year. I'm going to get my education. I'm going to get this degree. I'm going to work this job. I'm going to do it for 25 years. I'm going to retire at this age. I'm going to have this much in my retirement. And boy, we got it all mapped out, and God doesn't have nothing to do with it. And then guess what happens? When our plans go belly up, who do we run to? We run to God. We want a stamp of approval. God, just give me a stamp of approval. I told Sheila, I said, years ago, we were in a little church in Chittanguiza, Zimbabwe. In Chittanguiza, Zimbabwe, Hunyani Baptist Church. Now, the women sat on the left side, the men sat on the right side. Now, Sheila loved that because Sheila had sweet little Amy and Emily sitting over there, and I had Legend Jeffrey climbing all over everything. So she just loved it. Well, they would have a three-hour service. And let me tell you, everybody look this way. You sat on a board about that wide. Ledge is back there laughing. It didn't have no back on it, no cushion or nothing. You sat on a board. like. In fact, I figured out a way that I could put my arm like this and actually lean against my own arm. So we'd been in there about three hours. Now we got to the end of the service and they wanted a stamp. They needed for documents and things, a little stamp that said Hunyani Baptist Church had the address and the contact information. Now, God knows the phone didn't work. So, but they had this little stamp. Now, that stamp cost, it didn't cost that much. It probably cost maybe three or four U.S. dollars, maybe, probably not even that much. So they passed the little paper hymnal going up and down. Now, in an African church, they pass it until they get it. So they got the money, and, and we waited, and it's been like three hours, and the boys, the Ledge and Jeffrey look like prisoners. Dad, please let us go. And there's all kinds of activity outside the window of this African church because of the musica, the market is busy. So they want to get out there and play and run. And, and Sheila's tired, too. She's sitting over there moving around, and finally they're trying to get this stamp. And they count the money, and they don't have enough. Well, they pass the, the little hymnal again. They count the money, not enough. 
So finally he says, we're going to pray. Baba, Baba, where do Tino Kutendai? And he starts to pray. And all of a sudden I catch something out of the corner of my eye and it's Sheila over there with the girls. And she looks and says, give them the money. <laughs> give them the money. And I did. And when I gave them, hey, when I put that Zimbabwe money on that, on that little booklet and they counted that money and had enough, man, they, Sheila's laughing. They had a big celebration. Oh, praise God. God's giving us some money. We're going to buy a stamp. Let me tell you, you know, when I think about that, I think that's how some of us live our lives. We have all the plans. We know what we're going to do. And the only problem is, is God's not a part of it. When it goes, thump, when it goes belly up, and everything begins to fall apart around us, then we go to God, and then we ask God, God, I need some help. Right? You know, I wrote this down. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. Put your spiritual antennas up real high. I wrote this down. When if truth be known, we move outside the will of God, worse, we get angry at God when God had nothing to do with our plan. That's one thing, right? We make all our plans. We don't pray about it. We don't consult God. We don't listen to nobody else. We make our decision. When it goes belly up and things go wrong, you know who we get mad at. We get mad at God and God. You know what God wants to say? I didn't have nothing to do with it to begin with, right? You're blaming somebody that had nothing, no part of it. But I went on to write this down. We date, plan our academic career. We have families, buy cars, houses, start businesses. And then we look to God for a thumbs up or when it collapses, we cry out to God for the first time. When if truth be known, we move outside the will of God. Worse, we get angry at God when God had nothing to do with it. Now listen to this closely. Look at verse 16. I'm going to give you something if you don't hear anything else. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. I wrote this down. Listen. And God help us, hear me, say amen if you're listening. Amen. And God help us if we succeed. Remember Satan, now listen to this, Satan can answer an out of God's will prayer. When you're planning and doing everything without God, guess who comes alongside of you to help you? The devil right? God, I don't need you. You know what the devil says? You're right. We can do this. We got it. You know what the most dangerous thing that happens in your life and in my life is when we succeed in being out of God's will. When we do start that business, when we do marry that person or we date that person, when we do have this child or that child, when we do live our life outside of the will of God and we begin to do things outside the will of God and we're successful at it. And that's a great danger. Because when you and I succeed at what is outside of the will of God, that is a great danger. In fact, I wrote this down. The greatest danger to your life and my life is for you and I to get outside the will of God, running in our own power, our own strength, our own wisdom, and succeeding for a period of time. Because you know what that person says? I don't need God. I'm doing fine without him. And guess what? Everybody look this way. 
the if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, the crash, the wreck is coming. It's just a matter of time. You see, that's how the devil works. Well, number four, the fourth danger is this. The danger of living life without realizing that the sins of omission will be judged. Let me let, look at verse 17. Watch this. Look at verse 17 there. Anyone then who knows the good, you see it? Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it is what? Sin. You know, there's two kinds of sin that's implied here, two types of sin. There's the sin of commission. Now, we all know what that is, right? That's lying, stealing, murdering, adultery. Uh, we know when we do something contrary to God's law, God's word, God's will. We understand that. But what about the sin of omission? When you know something you ought to do, but you don't do it. Right? When you and I don't do what is right. When we do things that we know deep down we should do, but we don't do. It's the failure to stand up when something's wrong. You know, I had somebody ask me, we've got a mess out there in Rankin County. We've got a mess out there. We got a sheriff's department and sheriff and a whole list of law enforcement that all need to be fired. Because the reality is we've got a big mess out there. I don't know, it's called the Goon Squad. What is that bunch called out there? Yeah. And you know I had an individual text me and ask me a question. He asked this question. He said, is there one SBC church in Rankin County that is saying anything about that? And I thought to myself, so I said, probably not. You see, you and I are judged the sin of omission is when we know something to be wrong and we remain silent about it. That's not right. And people sometimes say, well, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want, to get a, I don't want the law to have a bad taste in their mouth from me. I don't care. I don't disobey the law, so I'm not worried about it. But I expect law enforcement to obey the laws by which they're called to govern us by. And the federal government should have already been down in Rankin County, and this should have been dealt with a long time ago. You know, Gary Hamrick, who is the pastor of Cornerstone Chapel, he tells this story. Maybe it's a little bit lighter. He said that uh, somebody had given him a gift card, him and his wife a gift card, to Cracker Barrel. And he said, I like to, I like to eat under old used farm utensils <laughs> and raise my cholesterol. So he said him and his wife went, and they sat down in Cracker Barrel, and they were eating. And Gary Hamrick said this. He said, I just have a problem when I see somebody eating by themselves. He said there was an elderly woman. She was sitting there at Cracker Barrel eating by herself. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, in my heart, he said, just as clear, God said, go give her that, that, that uh, gift card. Gary Hamry said he went, no. <laughs> no. She probably wouldn't take it anyway, probably embarrass her. You know the way, you know, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about. He said, but God wouldn't let it go. He said he never disclosed. He said, in fact, when he preached this and shared this illustration, he said, my wife is finding out for the first time. 
He said, so in my heart I'm going through this, God telling me to give this elderly woman to walk over and give her the gift card. And he was thinking, God, I don't want to do that. That's my gift card. Somebody gave that to me. God said, give her the gift card. Well, he, he did not. He said his wife went to the gift shop and he said that uh, he went and paid with that gift card, but it had a lot of money left on it. He said it was a big gift card. And he said all of a sudden he looked and there was that little senior adult woman coming up there waiting in line. Had her little receipt. And he said the Holy Spirit was saying, give her the gift card. No. And then finally he said it just so convicted him, so weighed on him looking at that woman bent over, standing in that line. He finally went over to her and he said, Ma'am, you may not understand this, but God told me to give you my gift card. She said, You don't have to do that. He said, No, ma'am. He said, God told me to give you this gift card. This is what's left on it. It'll more than cover your meal. Pay for a couple, two or three more meals here. But God told me to do this. And she said, tears begin to well down her eye. Tears begin to go down her cheek. And she looked at him and said, you will never know what this means to me and wept. But his question was this, how many times does God tell you and I to do something? the good that we know we ought to do, and we don't do it. And he said, that is sin. I wrote this down. What if God asked you to walk over to a gas pump where a single mom with a carload of kids was trying to pay for gas, and she had a limited amount of money and change or her or currency or whatever, and all of a sudden God impressed upon your heart and said, I want you to go over, take your credit card, put it in that gas pump, and fill that vehicle up. You ever done that? You ever just went for broken and, and, and stepped out in faith and you felt that urging and you did it only for somebody to look and begin to cry and say, you'll never know what this means to me. You'll never know where I was in life. I wrote down, is that mom praying in her heart to a God she cannot see, saying, God, if you're there, would you help me? Would you pay for this? And God intervenes. Your pastor was walking across Mississippi State and I probably was at the lowest point I've ever been in my life and I'll close in a moment. I was walking across that university campus, tens of thousands of students and felt all alone. I probably was as close to just wanting to end my life. But one of those MSU work trucks went by a young man hung out that window and he saw me. I was late for class. I was the only one out there in that massive courtyard area walking across one of those paths by myself, feeling as if I had the weight of the world, not having any idea what I was going to do in my life and running from God. And that young man shouted and said, God loves you. And I can still see that college student. Let me ask you something. I wrote this down. Suicide usually comes when people are begging for somebody to care and help. And let me tell you what happens, and I've done this 
too many times. Let me tell you what happens after somebody commits suicide. The people around them will go, well, you know, I knew something was wrong. Something told me to call them. Something told me to go by and visit them. God put them on my heart. I knew I should have done something, and I would have screamed, it's too late. The sin of omission was not only a sin, the sin of omission your failure to do what God moved you to do and your heart cost the kingdom of God. It's too late. It's over with. Reality is, if you think about the Luke 15, when Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, you remember that story. One son committed the sin of commission. He went out, he took a third of the estate, he took the inheritance, and he went out and he blew it on wine, women. He threw every bit of that money away. And he woke up one day and he didn't have nothing. And the next thing we see is him in a pig pen feeding pigs and he tears streaming down his cheeks. He probably even looked and he said, the Bible said he came to himself. Jesus said he came to himself and he repented and he returned home to the Father. But there was another son there. Do you remember him? That son, that, that son there, hey, he hadn't wasted any money on riotous living. He had never gotten drunk. He had never hung around with wild women. He had never squandered gambling. He had done none of those things. You remember? He, he, he just, he was full of himself. He went out there and he looked at one of the servants and said, what's all that commotion? They said, man, you haven't heard your brother, his home. He's back. He's repentant and broken, but he's back. And that son thought to himself, man, I don't care. I'm not going in. I'm not going to party. I'm not going to celebrate. You know what? That son committed the sins of omission. When you listen to him, when the father comes out there and puts his arm around his son, you know what he says? Hey, listen, this son of you, he went out and he did this, did that. He goes on, he says, I never did this, I never did that, and you never did this for me. I mean, he's just filled with pride, arrogance, self-righteousness. And let me tell you, that sin was every bit as guilty. In fact, Jesus was honing in on the sin of omission and the sins of the heart more than he was the prodigal son. The, 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 hey, listen, the theme of the prodigal son is not the wild son. The theme is the older brother who refused to celebrate. That was the problem. So listen, when you and I, when God, hey, listen, a heart that's sensitive to the Holy Spirit it's always tuned in to everybody. It's like radar. It's always tuned in broken and hurting people. And there's some people, I think about it, there's some people in this congregation, our worship leader, he's in the ICU unit all the time, dealing with death constantly. Some of the people in this room deal with the homeless, and they've spent their life, their careers, they're, they're, they're spending their life in the home. There are people that were here yesterday. There's some people in this room, your lives are tuned in to the hurting and the broken. There's some of you, you don't care at all. Some of you watching, you don't care. But let me tell you, the sin of omission is every bit as guilty before a sovereign God as the sin of commission. You, you and I need this. We need a radar that's up that says, God, help me to be your eyes, your ears, your heart to a broken, hurting world. God, help me to do that. My heart tuned in. Let's pray. You stand.
Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we love you and praise you. Lord, we ask you now as we come to this invitation that, Lord, we would examine our lives, that, Lord, we would look at our life and realize that, Lord, if we are planning or setting the agenda, making decisions without the counsel of your word, without prayer, without reaching out to spiritual leaders and spiritually mature men and women who can give us help and guidance, then, Lord, there's a real danger that we'll move our life out of the will of God. And if it couldn't get any worse, it would, because Satan can help us live outside the will of God. He can make our plan succeed. Help us. He told Jesus, he said, if you'll bow down to me, all this stuff, all this, the things of this world, I'll give it to you, and they're mine to give, and they are. So, Lord, I pray today that if there's a man or woman, boy or girl, young person who may be here, they're sitting at the crossroads of great decisions that are yet to come in their life, that, Lord, you would begin to remind them, do nothing, make no decision without first bathing it in prayer, seeking the counsel of godly, spiritually mature men and women, getting before the Lord, looking into his word until there is a very, very clear settledness in the spirit. This is what God wants me to do. God, may we never set up our life and then want a stamp of approval. And if there's some here that are angry because, God, they moved out of your will, they moved in their own strength, and now they're angry at you. God, may they, feel, may they realize the one they need to be angry at is the one who looks at them in the mirror. Now, God, I pray if there's one here, Lord Jesus Christ, right now you're convicting them in their heart. They've never become a Christian. They've never given their life to you, that, Lord, today that they would repent of their sin and say, Lord, come into my heart, forgive me. Right now, be the Lord of my life. And I pray, dear Lord, you'd give them the strength to come down and to make it public for whatever decision that needs to be made. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.